A huge hello from Bandofla uh, as we bring you episode 48. A um, little bit of a gap since episode 47, um, but lots lots of stuff going on. My name is Fevzi Hussain and you're listening to Bandofla. So last few weeks, uh, what's been going on? We'll do our best to, to cover off what's been making the, the news and maybe one or two things that are definitely newsworthy, um, but mainstream news don't really want to go anywhere, anywhere near it. Um, we would like to speak the truth. We'd like to say it how it is. Um, and we are going to be seeking to hold um, certain people to account because there's some serious shit going on, um, certainly in the political field here in the UK. So um, this episode will be a little bit of a mashup uh, of a fair bit of external material um, as we've come across uh, uh, quite a few gems actually in the last couple of weeks and Bandofla would really like to share this with our listeners. So you have you have that to, to look forward to. Um, I'm going to be sharing with you a fantastic contribution from um, SNP member of Scottish Parliament, Mary Black. Um, I hope I pronounced your name correctly. Um, to be fair to Mary, her Westminster contributions have been consistently uh, of uh, a high standard. I think I saw her maiden speech um, a few years ago. Um, and I, I think it's, it's consistent really with the, the SNP. I think the SNP really bring excellent quality to, to Westminster, um, particularly when it comes to trying to hold this awful government to account. So uh, regular listeners obviously know that we love Boris Johnson on this podcast. Okay, well, that isn't entirely true, right? More accurate, more accurately, get my teeth in, uh, we'd say we love to hate this incompetent law-breaking prime minister. Uh, but what we are actually doing is trying to hold uh, the government to account. So whenever it next comes to putting um, the cross in, in a ballot paper, um, I think we are preaching to the converted, but we hope other people who have an open mind and will see what this government really stands for uh, when the decision comes to um, hold politicians uh, to account, you will vote accordingly in your ballot papers. We're gonna also be touching on the really tragic events in Uvalde in uh, Texas, when an 18 year old took an automatic weapon into a school and murdered 19 young children and two of their teachers. Um, a number of other children and teachers were also uh, injured. We have a, a really heartfelt message, uh, a reaction that we got from a, a Texan political candidate from the American Green Party. And uh, we'll be sharing that with you later in this show. Uh, but first, we need to shine a light again on our Prime Minister, 
on Boris Johnson. The vote of confidence ballot uh, was a few days ago, we're over a week now actually, um, and the, the confidence ballot, ballot was triggered after um, MPs from the Conservatives had uh, written in to express their disappointment in Boris Johnson. Uh, expressing what they believed was a, a failure on the part of the Prime Minister. Um, the vote of confidence ballot saw a massive 148 Tory MPs refuse to back Boris Johnson. Um, and I think, if we're being honest, I don't think the, a lot of the political, political commentators out there have really reflected the reaction of Boris Johnson um, as accurately as it needed to be reflected, because I think he was pretty shaken up by that result. He was uh, physically shook up um, when he was interviewed shortly after. Um, 148 is a, is a huge uh, jump um, from the number of MPs it required to trigger that. So um, I saw a, another stat linked to the vote of confidence and ballot that suggested that 70% of Tory backbenchers revolted uh, against their leader. It's hard to see how uh, Boris Johnson will survive this. Um, although, as we've said on, on this show numerous times, that man makes Teflon look like treacle. Um, he's got more lives than cats, uh, definitely. But Labour has built a a pretty commanding lead in the polls. Um, and on top of that, the infighting that we're seeing um, within the Conservative Party is absolutely hilarious. Um, okay, I'll, I'll be a bit more professional um, when, <laughs> when I'm reporting it. Uh, in all seriousness, um, I don't think many of us have ever seen these types of deep divisions uh, within the, the Tory ranks um, being played out so publicly. The Tories have been um, normally very good in terms of keeping their dirty washing indoors, um, but there's a number of people who are very vocal um, in being critical um, of their leader. Um, and the longer Boris Johnson remains Prime Minister, I think the more problematic this is going to become for the Conservatives. Long may that continue, um, because we have to get this government out of power. Um, I'm going to go into the cost of living crisis and, and lots of other stuff that, that's going on. So I think the other thing to, to kind of put the spotlight on in terms of this government is our thoughts on the immigration policy, which is making headlines, um, where Priti Patel and her government have introduced this policy to fly asylum seekers to Rwanda, which is 4,000 miles away. Bear in mind that these um, poor people fleeing persecution, conflict, etc. Um, may come from countries that like Afghanistan, uh, Syria, um, Sudan, Eritrea, um, 
and and other countries um and they're going to be you know processed in in rwanda if this government has its way um the high court has uh, ruled in favor of the government um despite the overwhelming evidence that was presented by the um, parties that were trying to overturn this policy. I believe it was Careful Calais in the conjunction with the PCS trade union, fair play to them for seeking to um, get justice on, on this issue. The Court of Appeal has also just returned a verdict and they have upheld the decision of the High Court, which is um, pretty, pretty appalling. Um, we're seeing church bishops, Church of England bishops, um, they've collectively um, called out this policy and they've said it's a shame on the United Kingdom. Um, and there's a lot of people who are coming out and speaking bravely um, in opposition. So we, we will see what's gonna, gonna happen. Um, of the 31 people who were scheduled to fly tomorrow, which is Tuesday morning, um, already that number I believe is down to seven um, and individuals have successfully challenged um, the courts in relation to the decision to deport them uh, to Rwanda. So now out of the original 31, there's only seven. A number of legal challenges are going in as we speak. And there is a real possibility that that plane is actually going to take off empty. Um, it goes to, you know, I think we really do have to look at the really responsible way this government is processing this situation. How much money it's costing the taxpayers potentially to fly an empty um, plane, which I believe is um, has been sourced through a, an airline called Privilege Airlines. Um, and the other aspect in relation to the court proceedings, um, I know it's not entirely comparable, but I've represented workers at employment tribunals, and I've always found that if the if any party at even a, at tribunal level comes across as lying <laughs> or being economical with the truth or the judge feels there's an issue with credibility, um, it's likely to harm that side's representations. So the reason I'm making this point right is that when the discussion on Rwanda would have been taking place at the High Court, and it was covered in, in the mainstream media quite, uh, quite strongly in the run-up. Uh, it was clear that the government was being um, economical with the truth when it suggested to um, the courts that the UNHCR, which is the main body supporting refugees within the United Nations, was supportive of the government's policy to fly asylum seekers, stroke uh, migrants to Rwanda. In fact, the opposite is true. And again, I, I don't understand how 
the government keep getting away with this. Um, Gillian Triggs, who's the Assistant High Commissioner at the UNHCR, said that the proposed arrangement would only accommodate a few hundred people a year at best, making it extremely expensive as well as illegal and discriminatory. So this is the top person at the UNHCR. Despite this, the High Court, in its wisdom, ruled uh, in favour, they found in favour of the government um, and of the original 31 people that were scheduled to fly, as I, as I said, um, a number have already been successful with their appeals and they have been taken off the, the flights. It's another half-baked idea designed to pander to the extreme right, which has seen the hostile environment um, perpetuated. This is a out of the Tories' top draw. They're desperate to be seen to be strong on immigration when there's, you know, it, it's just a completely unnecessary policy, in, in my opinion. Many pol political commentators have been extremely critical of the Home Secretary. I, I touched on the Church of England bishops all coming together. Even um, Charlie, uh, Prince Charles, reportedly described the migrant scheme as appalling. Um, I think it's clear that this story is going to run much longer and Bandofla is going to be keeping a close eye on this for our listeners. Okay, so I am going to now play a, a video clip for you um, for people listening on the podcast. Obviously, you'll catch the full audio. If you're watching on YouTube, please do go on to YouTube and check out Bandofla's channel. We've got more and more content becoming available. Um, this video clip is prepared or has been prepared by a brilliant campaign group called Led by Donkeys. Um, many people will have heard of Led by Donkeys. They've put together some really excellent um, clips. It focuses on our British Prime Minister and it's a real gem in terms of showing a side to the Prime Minister that everyone needs to hear or see, depending on where you're watching this or listening. Um, so even on this single point on this podcast, it's important that you share this podcast so as many people as possible get to hear this. So have a listen to this. The life and lies of Boris Johnson, from the day he was born to the day he became Prime Minister. June 1964. Alexander Boris de Feffel Johnson is born in New York. His earliest recorded ambition is to become World King. 1982. In a letter to Johnson's father, an Eton schoolteacher writes of the 17-year-old Boris Johnson, He sometimes seems affronted when criticised for what amounts to a gross failure of responsibility and surprised at the same time that he was not appointed captain of the school for the next half. I think he honestly believes that it is churlish of us not to regard him as an exception, one who should be free of the network of obligation that binds everyone else. 1983, Johnson becomes a leading member of Oxford University's male-only Bullingdon Club. During his tenure, the club's members indulge in sexist taunting, vandalism, restaurant trashing, bullying and ritual humiliation of the poor. 
One recruiter for the club will later describe it during Johnson's time, saying Bullingdon members found it amusing if people were intimidated or frightened by their behaviour. I remember them walking down a street in Oxford in their tails, chanting Buller, Buller, and smashing bottles along the way just to cow people. Boris was one of the big beasts of the club. He was up for anything. They treated certain types of people with absolute disdain and referred to them as plebs. 1984. Sixth former Damien Furness visits Johnson's Oxford College for his entrance interview. Many years later, he will relate what happened. I was staying the night and had an evening to kill in the college bar. Johnson was propping it up with his coterie of acolytes, whose only apparent role in life was to laugh at his jokes. In the course of my pint, I felt obliged to finish. He mocked my speech impediment, my accent, my school, my dress sense, my haircut, my background, my father's work as a farm worker and garage proprietor, and my prospects in the scholarship interview I was there for. His only motivation was to amuse his posh boy mates. 1987. At the age of 23, Johnson marries the daughter of a millionaire art historian. Fresh out of university and aided by family connections, he lands a traineeship at the Times newspaper. 1988. Johnson is sacked as a trainee at the Times for making up a quote on his first front page story. 1990. Johnson conspires with his Bullingdon Club friend Darius Guppy to have a fellow journalist assaulted. The two discuss in detail how badly assaulted the man will be, including cracked ribs and black eyes, before Johnson agrees to supply the journalist's address for the attack to be carried out. Boris, have you got this number? Uh, how badly are you going to hurt this guy? OK, let me explain this. You will not be put into intensive care or anything like that. OK, Derry, I thought I'll do it. I'll do it. Don't worry. The conspiracy goes nowhere and no attack happens. 1991. According to a friend of Johnson's wife, an incident occurs in which Johnson displays his frightening temper, after which his wife turns up at the friend's flat in Brussels, looking shocked, scared and on the brink of tears. The marriage soon deteriorates as Johnson begins an affair with a barrister. 1993. Johnson gets his barrister girlfriend pregnant and is soon divorced for the first time. 1994. He is now a columnist for The Telegraph and The Spectator magazine. His columns include racially charged invectives such as slamming Nelson Mandela for the, quote, tyranny of black majority rule in post-apartheid South Africa and describing Chinese workers as, quote, puffing coolies. 1995. He describes the children of single mothers as, quote, ill-raised, ignorant, aggressive and illegitimate saying it is, quote, outrageous that married couples should pay for the single mother's desire to procreate independently of men. In the same piece, he dismisses working class men as, quote, likely to be drunk, criminal, aimless, feckless and hopeless. 1998, delighting in the resignation of gay cabinet minister Peter Mandelson for accepting an undisclosed loan from a friend, Johnson describes the gay community as, quote, tank-topped bumboys. 1999, Johnson is made editor of The Spectator magazine, promising owner Conrad Black he will not stand to be an MP. 2000, Johnson begins a relationship with one of his employees. He promises her that he will leave his wife to marry her. He does not leave his wife. 2001, breaking his promise to the owner of The Spectator, Johnson stands to be an MP. He now promises voters in Henley that if they vote for him, he will step down as editor of The Spectator. That June, he becomes MP for Henley, he does not step down as editor of The Spectator. In a book he writes during the election campaign, Johnson compares equal marriage to a union between three men and a dog. 2002, writing in The Spectator, Johnson defends British colonialism in Africa, saying, the problem is not that we were once in charge, but that we are not in charge anymore. Left to their own devices, the natives would rely on nothing but the instant carbohydrate gratification of the plantain. Meanwhile, in The Telegraph, he describes black Africans as, quote, flag-waving pickaninnies with watermelon smiles. 
2003, Johnson is made Vice Chair of the Conservative Party and Shadow Arts Minister. 2004, rumours circulate that Johnson has got one of his employees pregnant, resulting in her having an abortion. Johnson slams the suggestion as, quote, complete balderdash and an inverted pyramid of piffle and assures Conservative Party leader Michael Howard that the claim is untrue. In reality, the rumours are entirely true. Johnson is sacked from his position as Tory Vice Chair and Shadow Minister for lying to the party leader. 2005, Johnson steps down as editor of The Spectator. Advising his successor on how to deal with a senior female colleague, he says, just pat her on the bottom and send her on her way. 2008, Johnson becomes Mayor of London. 2009, he fathers a child with an unpaid advisor to City Hall. 2013, the Court of Appeal throws out an injunction that has until now prevented Johnson being named as the father of the child. Three judges rule that the public has a right to know about Johnson's, quote, reckless behaviour. By now, Johnson is having an affair with an American technology entrepreneur. Her company will receive £26,000 of public money while Johnson is mayor. She will later receive a £100,000 government grant intended for UK operating businesses, even after relocating to California the previous year. 2014. Johnson denies at least 17 times that he will stand as an MP while still in post as Mayor of London. 2015. Johnson stands as an MP while still in post as Mayor of London. 2016. Hedging his bets, Johnson drafts two Brexit articles, one pro-leave and the other pro-remain. In his pro-remain article, Johnson says the UK should remain, quote, intimately engaged in the EU and that Brexit could cause an economic shock, the diminishing of Britain on the world stage and the breakup of the Union. Two days later, Johnson announces he will be campaigning for vote leave. On June 23rd, Britain votes to leave the EU. Prime Minister David Cameron resigns. Johnson is the leading figure to replace him, but his leadership campaign soon implodes when his own campaign manager, Michael Gove, says that Johnson is, quote, not capable of leading the country. Instead, Cameron is succeeded by Theresa May. She makes Johnson Foreign Secretary. 2017, Johnson fails to impress in the role, making a series of dangerous gaffes. Most notably, he significantly undermines the legal case of Nazanin Zaghari Radcliffe, a British-Iranian held in Iran on charges of espionage. It will be a further five years before she is finally released. 2018, Johnson resigns as Foreign Secretary and returns to his £250,000 a year job as a columnist for the Daily Telegraph. He's soon using his column to label women who wear burqas as, quote, letterboxes. His brother Leo, who's married to a Muslim, slams Johnson for his, quote, bigotry. In the week following his outburst, Islamophobic incidents increase across the UK by almost 400%. Almost half of all reported in-person abuse directly references Boris Johnson or the language he used. Johnson is now having an affair with Carrie Simmons, a former communications director for the Conservative Party. Johnson and his wife will soon separate. 2019, police are called to Simmons' South London flat after reports of a serious altercation. Neighbours report hearing a woman screaming, followed by slamming and banging. Simmons is reportedly heard screaming at Johnson to, quote, get off me and get out of my flat. Simmons will soon be expecting a baby. It is the fifth time as a married man that Johnson has made another woman, who isn't his wife, pregnant. On the 19th of July, following an internal Conservative Party coup against Theresa May, Johnson fulfills his lifetime ambition and becomes Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Everything in this film was known before the Tory party made him Prime Minister. His tenure has been an administrative and a moral failure. The question now is, what will Conservative MPs do about it? It's difficult to, to kind of respond to that. 
that shift that uh, footage. Um, again, big up respect to Led by Donkeys. Um, I think a lot of people would be aware of a lot of those kind of bits of information in relation to um, Boris Johnson. Certainly the Bullingdon Club is quite well documented. Um, and um, yeah, it gives you a, a, a flavour, more than a flavour, uh, in terms of what the the man is about, uh, and all that was obviously, as as the video rightly uh, referenced, was known before he was made Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Um, I don't know what to say to that. Um, anyway, you will you will decide um, listening to that what your thoughts are on it. So, no, thanks again, uh, led by donkeys. Keep up the the brilliant work. So we're going to stay on the domestic front. Um, and I want to, again, touch on uh, what I think is, is the really solid political role being played by the SNP um, in Westminster. Um, if you look at the, the leader of the SNP in Westminster, in Blackfoot, um, he hasn't been shy in coming forward uh, to... Uh, criticise the, the Conservatives with some really damning um, political commentary um, at one point, um, refusing to retract a comment where he uh, accused the Prime Minister of lying. Obviously, he was, it's been proven that he was telling the truth, but how the, the Speaker of the House ordered uh, Mr Blackfoot to leave um, the, the chamber, um, which was um, quite outrageous, really. Um, I think he's got an excellent team around him. And one of my favourite uh, Scottish MPs is Mary Black. Um, she was actually elected in 2015. And at the time, she was, she was just 20 years old. Um, and, you know, I think at, at the time, I think she still may be um, the, the youngest uh, person to be elected uh, an MP. Um, this next clip is only just over four minutes uh, long, um, but there is a really serious and powerful message uh, that Marie is sending to the government. She talks about the F word, um, and no, I'm not talking about the, the swear word. Um, listen to this. Okay, check this out. Mary Black. Thank you, Madam Deputy Speaker. Now, for a party that prides itself on the economy, the Tories have a shocking record of running it. Yeah. Our economy has the slowest growth in the G7. We have got greater regional inequality than almost any other developed nation. Food banks now do the job of government in providing for families, families that are more often than not in work. Mm -hmm. Government could start solving this crisis by providing solutions like closing uh, tax avoidance loopholes or creating a windfall tax for energy companies. But instead, we get endless bills paying lip service to a manufactured culture war. The priority isn't the economy. It seems to be things like protecting freedom of speech. And yet, 
The Tories are the ones that have banned schools in England from using sources that are not overtly pro-capitalist. Yeah. They're cracking down on freedom of assembly and protest. They're privatising Channel 4 when the Culture Secretary didn't even know that Channel 4 receives no public money. So the argument isn't financial. And as the member for Rhonda uh, touched upon earlier on, when we consider that the Culture Secretary was a key focus of a Channel 4 documentary once about the influence that Christian fundamentalism has over UK politics, yeah, it becomes yeah. even more concerning that this decision is political and it's personal, it is not professional. But most terrifying of all, Madam Deputy, is that this government literally want to get rid of the Human Rights Act. And that begs the question, for who do they think rights have gone too far? Mm. Do you know how scary it is to sit at home and wonder if it's you? Is it your rights that are up for grabs? We've witnessed Windrush. We've, our economic strategy is to open our doors to the rest of the world when we need their hard work and then chuck them out 50 years later without yeah. a word's yeah, notice. Yeah. We tell our own citizens that their safety can't be guaranteed in Rwanda, but we're perfectly happy to ship asylum seekers, people fleeing war and persecution over to Rwanda as though they're cattle to be dealt with by someone else. Mm -hmm. And despite knowing that this plan costs more than it'll ever save, this is just little England elites drunk on the memory of a British empire that no longer exists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have the lowest pensions in Europe, the lowest sick pay. We pretend minimum wage is a living wage mm -hmm. when it's not. We miss our own economic targets time and time again. We're happy to break international law. We are turning into a country where words hold no value. And over the last 12 years, I fear we are sleepwalking closer and closer to the F word. And I know everyone is scared to say it for fear of sounding over the top or being accused of going too far. But I say this with all sincerity. When I say the F word, I'm talking about fascism. Fascism wrapped in red, white and blue. And you may mock and you may disagree, but fascism does not come in with intentional evil plans or the introduction of leather jackboots. It doesn't happen like that. It happens subtly. It happens when we see self-present... No, I've heard enough. It happens when we see that government's making decisions based on self-preservation, based on cronyism, based on anything that will keep them in power. We see the concentration of power whilst avoiding any of the scrutiny or responsibility that comes with that power. It arrives under the guise of respectability and pride mm. that will then be refused to anyone who is deemed different. It arrives through the othering of people, the normalisation of human cruelty. Now, I don't know how far down that road we are, Madam Deputy Speaker. Time will tell. But the things we do in the name of economic growth, the warning signs are there for everyone else to see whether they admit it or not. Yeah. Mary, thanks for that. That was that was really powerful. Um, and so on the money, um, I think you said a lot of things that most MPs, quite frankly, won't have the bottle 
to get up in the chamber and say so so big respect uh, for doing that um all right moving on we're gonna touch on some international news um everyone would have been pretty much traumatized with the shocking events that unfolded in texas the rob elementary school in uvaldi um was sadly the latest scene uh, where a young male went into the school with a, an automatic rifle and murdered 19 students and two of their teachers. Uh, looking at the list of, of victims, it's just so, so sad. Nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds. A number were also shot um, and, and injured. Um, I read recently as well that um, the killer also actually shot his uh, grandmother uh, prior to the killing spree. Um, Van Doffler was shocked to hear of this mass shooting and our thoughts and prayers are with all of the families affected by this latest shooter episode. Um, as with all these uh, types of tragic incidents, the debate on gun control rages on. Um, and maybe, just maybe this time, um, there may be some momentum building to enforce some degree of gun control that will hopefully um, stop or reduce these types of incidents. Um, I think there's a a bipartisan, they call it. Uh, we would refer to it as a multi-party uh, political working group who are at least, they're now discussing this. Um, and I understand that some progress is being made and we really are keeping our fingers crossed uh, that the progress leads to something tangible um, and, you know, offers some changes in terms of uh, enforcing a degree of stricter uh, gun con control. I get it. I get it that the Constitution in America allows Americans the right to bear arms. And it's obvious that when you look at the number of types of these scenarios um, and the families after families who speak after they lose their children, um, you know, they're the, the, the constitution won't change, but the regulations around the gun control hopefully will be tightened up as a, a minimum. Um, since uh, Uvalde, which happened on the 24th of May, there's actually been two more uh, shooting incidents in schools in America, um, which has seen four people shot, one of them fatally. Um, we actually reached out to Delilah Barrios, who lives in Texas. Um, and Delilah is actually standing um, in the forthcoming governor elections. Um, and we've had uh, some contact with Delilah previously. We're going to be covering the governor elections later on in the year. Um, but this was uh, Delilah's reaction to the shooting. This is what she had to say. So this is from uh, Delilah sending a message to Bandofla. Um, at this time, 
my heart is heavy. I do not have a, an agenda. That is already part of the problem, is it not? The agendas of some uh, know no boundaries. I am a mother. I am a socialist. I am a health worker that is trained to surgically assist with trauma. Every life lost is a tragedy and the amount of lives lost in Uvalde are alarming and terrifying. There is more violence than the politicians and media acknowledge. Poverty, incarceration, lack of food and healthcare are already hurting our communities. This is not sustainable yet. The leadership is silent because how can they profit off of the constant unjust truth that our society is in decay? We have no safety or security for ourselves or our children. We lost one million lives to COVID and were pushed to go back to normal. Well, this is normal in America. Children here have been through so much and rather than supporting uh, them rather than us supporting them they are denied the simple pleasures of health and happiness i'm absolutely heart uh, broken hearted by this violent tragedy we live in a society where life is not valued or respected we must change that they must not be subjected to violence or the normalization of loss of life it is my belief these are the consequences of living beneath the boot of the most militarized country on this earth. The violence of the United States dates back centuries. There is such fear that not even helpless children or their caretakers are spared. They deserve better than this. We must protect the next generations with everything that we have. I support a full general strike of all families and educators in Texas to have their basic needs met, to have support, safety, peace and autonomy. I will remain dedicated to saving lives, for advocating for people's health and happiness, no matter what position I take. I can only hope everyone else will too. I think you will agree with me that those are incredibly um, powerful and moving words from Delilah. Um, it's clear that she's feeling the pain of what happened in Uvalde, uh, Texas. Um, if you're not following Delilah on Twitter, her handle is at Delilah for Texas. Uh, Delilah, thank you for um, sharing us, sharing your thoughts with um, Bandofla on that. It's, it's really appreciated. Okay, we're coming to the end of episode 48. Um, I hope uh, we've touched on some solid subjects, given you some food for thought, because uh, that's what we're all about, speaking the truth. Um, we know how difficult life is at the moment here in the United Kingdom, not just here, but across the, the world in, in many places, the cost of living crisis is getting worse and worse. Um, the Tories seem to be in complete denial, uh, throwing out a few crumbs just to uh, silence the growing public 
anger and discontent. Um, even on issues like petrol, um, one petrol forecourt in London was selling unleaded petrol for £2.38 a litre. I mean, it's just off the scale, man. You know, what is going on? It, you know, it wasn't that long. It was like £1.20, £1.30. And now, you know, it's, people have to fill their cars up for work, to live, to go, you know. It's just not on. Um, something has to be done. For every litre of petrol sold, this government uh, rates in about 80 pence in VAT and fuel duty fuel duty uh, the latter being the highest at around 53 pence in each liter and you know you just even just with those figures you can see straight away what a, a money spinner this is for for the government and you you think you know let's expand it a little bit you know when you look at how crap state pensions are how crap sick pay is you know, and we're supposed to be the fifth richest economy in the world. You know, we are literally being taken uh, by this government uh, for mugs. Um, you know, and it, it's saying something when a local conservative council um, recently opened a food bank. Uh, and this uh, event, I think whenever a food bank is opened, that's always, um, for me, it's a sad moment because it just underlines the fact that so many people are in poverty. Well, this Tory government turned it into a, a blue ribbon cutting ceremony. I kid you not, that tells you everything you need to know. Um, and I, I believe that they put the food out and ate it them, themselves as well. Um, this is the world we're living in here in the UK under... Boris Johnson and his Conservative government. So I, I'll finish on a couple of bits of uh, positive news, a um, couple of bits of good news, personal news for me. Um, I've just been appointed as a trustee uh, to a UK-based charity. It's a charity that means a lot to me. Um, it's a charity that I've um, been engaged with for a little while now. The CWUHA, which is a Communication Workers' Union Humanitarian Aid charity, has been running for over 25 years, uh, and it is a, a truly global charity. Uh, they focus on issues both here in the UK um, and internationally as well. I will be absolutely relishing the challenge and look forward to working with colleagues uh, such as Lenny, uh, Carl, uh, David, uh, and many others in, in the charity, um, doing what I can to, to help keep in putting the sm uh, smiles on, on children's faces. So I think it would be remiss of me not to plug the charity. And if you can spare a few shillings, cents, rupees, or whatever currency you deal with, um, you can make a donation on their website, which is www.cwuha.org. The other bit of good news is that my two beautiful children are coming to uh, the UK in the next week. Um, and COVID has seen them unable to come for over, over two and a half years. So there's many, many people in the family so, so looking forward to to seeing Denny's and, and Mehmet. So uh, that's, that's really lifted 
my uh, spirits. So with those two snippets, I bid you uh, farewell. Uh, don't forget to check us out on our YouTube channel, Bandofla, B-A-N-D-O-F-L-A. Um, we're obviously on all decent podcast platforms. And with this episode, we've got 48 episodes for you to choose from. Um, so lots of lots of subjects around uh, social justice, racial injustice, um, crap governments, crap policies, just trying to hold people to account, really. Uh, bigging up workers in their disputes as well. There's quite a lot of those going on at the moment. Um, don't forget, the there's a massive rally in central London, um, which my union, the CWU, um, is really pushing hard. It's the New Deal for Workers. Um, it's also coincides to challenge the government on the cost of living crisis. There is going to be tens of thousands uh, of people, activists in central London on Saturday, the 18th of June. Um, Portland Place by the BBC is the meeting point around midday. So do come and join us. Um, we'll be descending on London and we'll be telling Boris Johnson that we've had enough. Um, so for more details on this, you can go to the TUC website or check out your own uh, trade union to see what they've got planned. So finally, follow us on Twitter. Uh, we're at underscore Bandofla. Or if you want to email me, um, you can do this by sending it to podcastbandofla at gmail.com. So until next time, lovely listeners, if you're watching on YouTube, um, nice to see you. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast, keep safe, love, peace and respect to you all. Until next time, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I'm Fevzi Hussain and you've been listening to Bandofla.